Hi everyone, welcome on the podcast Focus on Solutions. Today I talk with trauma specialist Helena Delucci. I know Helena from my training at Korzybski, Korzybski where she gives lessons on the subject trauma. Glad to have you on the podcast, Helena. Thank you. Thank you. So first of all, so the listeners get to know you a bit better, Helena, where are you from? I am a Luxembourger. <clears throat> so yes. I'm, I'm, I have a, I'm born in Luxembourg. Yes. And I worked there uh, as a nurse at first. And then I went back to studies and I went to, to Belgium for my studies in, um, in, in Liège and in Brussels at uh, ULB. At the ULB. And what kind of studies were they? Um, psychology, yes. social and uh, clinical psychology. Yes. And uh, after that, we, we knew uh, how, to, how to make a diagnose, how to view people, but we didn't, had no idea how, to, how, how we could do any intervention. So mm-hmm. then I started um, um, training in, in systemic approach. And within this systemic approach, I, I met Luc Isabart and Marie-Christine Cabier, who gave us lessons on solution-focused brief therapy. And I was there, I, I found myself really back in, in, in the view I had about people. So I, I was um, critical <clears throat> with many approaches, even in the systemic field. But when I met um, the principles of solution-focused approach, I felt myself coming home, <laughs> like That's coming wonderful. home. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> yes, yes. And this this way of respect, respecting people, and 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 respecting people's expertise of their life was really uh, yes was was something I. I, I I had in my basic principles, and and I was a little bit uh, uncomfortable with the high position of the of the therapist, the one who knows, and because I had the feeling I know I don't know anything, and um, so I found very it, I found myself very um, comfortable in this kind of intervention where we have to keep safety and good good working relationships and that's all and all the rest client helps us Mm -hmm. and did you follow the training the four-year training at Korzybski also no uh, I I did not follow the the four-year training at Korzybski I wanted to do so but as it was um, mainly in Dutch I followed a French spoken version um, so which was very close to the Korzybski um uh the how can i say the, the what what is taught at the Kozybski institute so i did a four year but it was more at the beginning broad in systemics and at the end it was very specialized on solution focused approach yes okay so um, i started in in france with uh, louis vasquez and marie christine uh, manuel but very quickly my 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 references were <clears throat> Luc Isabart and Marie Christine Cabier. If I'm correct, um, I think you met them in Paris, where they gave lessons. Um, Luc Isabart and Marine Cabier. Uh, they came first uh, into Lyon and to yes. Saint Etienne, 
And mm -hmm. then uh, we, we met wherever we could. Uh, this was uh, several times in Bruges, several times in Paris. Um, we invited them in, uh, in, in, in Lyon. Yes. Okay. So, uh, yes, from there on, we, um, we, we worked together uh, while, uh, yes, in discussions, in lessons, in thinking together. So, and uh, there was another, uh, another colleague, Paul Pascal Souberon, who uh, gave us the basic lessons in solution-focused approach. And what I had with Luc and my Christine were more further lessons uh, about solution-focused approach. Mm -hmm. Okay. And why did you decide to become a trauma specialist? Because I encountered trauma uh, throughout uh, people I met. So uh, the solution-focused approach is, is really great, but when people are traumatized, they had difficulties to focus on the future. So um, when we had, I was supervised by Michel Silvestre and several families and several couples we met and also um, people, uh, individual people I met, uh, they, they, they responded partly on solution-focused approach, but for them, for example, um, they, they, they were able to discuss, uh, to think about the future at certain moments, and at other moments, this, this vision was com completely lost when they was in crisis, when they were in crisis. It is as if you had another person being in front of you. So uh, there, um, um, I, I, when I worked as a nurse, I worked with, um, with people in neurosurgery intensive care unit uh, where you cannot talk with people, you only can watch their body and, and you have an idea how they are doing when, when you watch their body and their body reactions. So I was implicitly trained a lot to watch body reactions. So as I watched the body reactions of my patients when they, when they started to be on crisis, when they were not able to think, to speak, to reflect, I, I saw the same stress I saw in people um, I had met before in, in the intensive care unit. So, mm -hmm. and I knew I have to focus first on the body. So I started to do bodily uh, exercises in order to calm down the body. And as I was, as we had supervision with Michel Silvestre, who is a, a trauma specialist besides his, the systemic approach, uh, he, uh, yes, he, he oriented me towards EMDR training. So I trained in EMDR, but when I trained, when I did the basic EMDR training again, it was as if you learn a very, very, very um, impressive, a protocol, but a protocol which goes in the heart of the trauma. And this was too much for my clients. So uh, I remember the first supervision, trauma supervisions. I had a supervisor. Each time I presented a case, she taught, she said to me, this is not a client for you. Send them to, to somebody else. <laughs> so I, I had no answers for my clients. So I continued stabilization like I did. And I added to uh, the EMDR many stabilization tools. And 
I searched and searched and searched until I found soft tools, um, like working with uh, drawing. Uh, a client helped me to develop also another soft tool through letters. Um, and so little by little, um, even though when I learned about EMDR and about trauma, um, what was difficult for me when I learned about trauma is to let go of my solution-focused um, backbone. <laughs> so this I did not want to let go. So um, I tried to make fit what I did uh, as an EMDR specialist, as a, as a trauma specialist, um, to, to make it, to, to bring it closer to solution-focused approach and to make it more coherent with solution-focused approach. And little by little, um, developed um, in connection with the Bruch model, the flowchart, mm -hmm. um, the solution-focused um, psychotraumatology, which is mainly solution-focused and brings in the solution-focused field the, the, the body approach. We can have one client get um, into crisis when, when their body is so much stressed that they cannot talk anymore. I don't know if, if this is makes sense about yes absolutely yes um i'm gonna ask uh, another question um i just read in an article that you sent me when i followed your training that the dissociative trauma needs to be treated different from non-dissociative trauma um can you explain in what ways does it um, needs to be treated different um Really, it depends. It depends on the theory you apply. Um, yeah. When you listen to the to the theory of structural dissociation of the personality, each trauma is already uh, a traumatic dissociation. But each traumatic dissociation is not yet um, a dissociative disorder. So people having a dissociative disorder have so many dissociative symptoms based on so many trauma that the, 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 the dissociative response um, is produced not only for trauma triggers, but for everyday triggers. So when you meet those people, they have difficulties with interpersonal relationships, um, if you ask them about the future, they have very often really great difficulties to think about the future because their, their chronic traumatization has led them to foresee the future uh, in terms of trauma will go on, trauma mm -hmm. will start again, especially interpersonal. So you have, so, so building a relationship with those people is, is already... <laughs> A big trauma, a big therapy, uh, therapy goal. Uh, besides that, uh, people having dissociative disorder, when you try, they have built a lot of comorbidity, with which helps them uh, partly not to access trauma. So they have uh, people when people develop a dissociative disorder. Um, then what we know is that they have so much, so early, so much trauma, 
starting so early and very often um, implying caregivers so that they have a huge amount of traumatic networks. And so either you have difficulties to access these networks and they have lots of avoidance or they fall into these trauma networks and then you don't know, you don't have them anymore in the, in the everyday life here and now. So they lose connection with here and now with you and so on. So you have to build a much stronger secure frame about the relationship, but also about um, being, about helping them to learn to, to be in the here and now touch trauma safely in a controlled way so that they know that trauma they that, that they can keep really both feet one in the here and now and one touching a little bit the trauma but not immediately in the heart of the trauma but what they are able to um what they are able to 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 I, I'm searching a word. I'm sorry. No, um, okay. What they're able to integrate. Yeah. So people having a simple trauma, they are often very motivated when they learn about trauma therapy and when they learn about what is possible and how people uh, are, feel when, when they get rid of the trauma. They are really interested and and astonished and they want they, they want to get to this state after the trauma so they, they 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 have less avoidance they have less difficulties in interpersonal relationships um stabili stabilization goes easier with them because they are able to implement it they, they don't have enough fights which prevents them to to calm them down when when they need it so um uh, they have less loyalty to people uh, with, with whom they have had trauma. So it happens. But as they have less trauma, less, a less traumatic load, it's much more easier to focus directly on trauma with tools like EMDR um, as with people having an, a mountain of trauma. Yeah. As, and the solution focused way to look at these people because many trauma specialists they are afraid of those people so the solution fake focused way to look at these people is to look at their surviving resources so the more the people have had trauma the more the fact that they are alive tells us how many surviving resources they have but they are implicit to them they don't know it so it is our task to ask about and to ask about how they how they did after the trauma, how they did despite what happened, how they did to learn what they have were able to learn, how they do to care for their children, and so on, even if everything doesn't go like they want. So very often they are very harsh to themselves uh, in a way that, um, that they don't recognize themselves, they treat themselves as others have treated them. So, um, so the more people have complex trauma, the more they need a, a soft way and the more the solution-focused approach is important because when you meet a therapist which doesn't think that he's a specialist of your life, there is less power struggle in the therapy. And so these people really benefit from, from solution-focused approach mainly. 
and uh, and then looking with this with this therapist who wants to make fit what he knows but which is part of the knowledge which will be which will be co-constructed so how both can adapt uh, to something which which they feel and they evaluate to be helpful mm -hmm. so we have to go little steps <clears throat> when you go with these people uh, two big steps you you run into blockages you run and you get stuck and though, so you have you need time to recognize that they have get stuck <clears throat> this is one of our dogs who asks to go out <laughs> I hear it so she's yeah. happy about and she say wow we will go for a walk this will, this is great so that's <laughs> what you hear <laughs> okay do you want to take a break for a few seconds for the dog no no, no. there is somebody and they, they will the they will do with the dog yes okay um so what i wanted to say is that yes. um people uh, the more you 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 use um, a, a straight uh, a method which goes straight in the heart of the trauma the more you 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 will have um, defensive responses, the more you will have avoidance, and you more the more people at the same time of wanting to get rid of trauma, um, there are like a paradox. I, I would like to get rid of trauma, but I don't want that it hurts as it hurts at this moment. So, and this is really, this framework needs, needs um, uh, how can I say? Uh, I'm searching for the right words. So this is a situation where, where solution-focused approach is really uh, the best approach in, in my opinion, mm -hmm. um, because it goes little step by little step, step through a co-construction with the client and um, the, the Bruges, uh, flowchart, which really shows us that if a client doesn't ask for anything, please don't do anything. So <laughs> if you are a trauma specialist and you have real big tools and you, you are convinced that the client should go there, these clients will not go where you think they should go. Yeah. So, so therefore, the, the main thing for me is the solution-focused way of being, uh, which, which enables through the little steps going really quick and, and, and straightforward. Okay. I have so many questions when you talk, but I'm going to try to stick bits um, to the questions I have, because otherwise it will be a sort of a mess, I think. Um, what kind of symptoms are typical for a dissociative trauma to recognize? Um, one yes. of the main symptoms uh, about the dissociation um, is amnesia. Many often people having dissociative trauma, they have amnesia either for the whole trauma or for parts of the trauma. Mm -hmm. um, they can have either complete, complete amnesia without knowing that there has been something. They can have part, part, um, partly amnesia. Uh, these are people who are saying, uh, I have no memories before the age of 10. So they, they, they know that there is a gap and that there must be something in, within. Um, but they have an idea that they have amnesia. There are also people, they have no idea that they have amnesia. 
And so when you work with them in classic psychotraumatology, something can pop up and make them quit, quit therapy and never want to go back to therapy again because they feel therapy is, is, is the, they feel it as, as dangerous. Yeah. Another, another symptom of, um, of dissoci dissociation uh, are typically uh, Schneiderian symptoms. So not all dissociative people have Schneiderian symptoms. These are people who are hearing voices, who are, have, who have feelings, they, they feel like egodystonic, like they say, these are not my feelings, these are made feelings, or these are made thoughts. Um, uh, for example, um, um, and very often these people have a great fear of becoming crazy or being seen as becoming crazy. And in my opinion, as a clinician, they are not crazy and I don't have, uh, they are not psychotic. Um, the, Andrew Moscovich has really, he, he has, he, he is by, he's doing, he's leading people to do a paradigm shift um, about psychosis and, and dissociation. So um, another symptom, which is the less, the less specific dissociative symptom is um, depersonalization and derealization. People uh, cutting themselves from their body, uh, don't being not being able to feel emotions, but depersonalization and derealization symptoms. Uh, derealization is about the feeling that the world around you is not real or the people or the things around you have some, have some strange feelings that, that about distance, about, about uh, reality. Um, so these symptoms uh, are the less specific of, a, of, a, of they are in each dissociative disorder. But you find these symptoms also in personality disorder, in depression, in anxiety disorder. So these are the less specific symptoms of dissociation. The most, most clinicians, they think if a client um, has depersonalization symptoms, then the client is dissociating. It is possible that the client is dissociating, but um, if you if you want to di to diagnose um, a dissociative disorder and, and dissociation, um, how can I say? Um, yes, I make really a difference between um, the amount of trauma people have in a dissociative disorder and and um, traumatic dissociation you can find in each um, in each trauma. So um, here I talk about people having this dissociative functioning in the everyday life. So there is uh, one of the dissociative disorder, which is called depersonalization disorder, where this depersonalization and derealization symptoms is, uh, are there all the time. Then it is a specific disorder, which is a dissociative disorder. But having depersonalization symptoms and derealization symptoms coming up uh, when there are triggers or when there is stress or when you talk about trauma is um, more like a, an upcoming symptom which can happen uh, which doesn't lead by itself to um, to a dissociative disorder okay 
And then the last symptom uh, is about um, people uh, having, um, how can I say, um, having inner parts functioning. So this looks a little bit spooky, um, but uh, these people have very often a very different uh, expression about what they say as about what their body says. So there is a lot of um, incongruence between body responses and what they what they want, what they say, what they what they say at one moment um, compared to say at the next moment. So sometimes these people give the impression to clinicians that they are either lying or that they don't know what they want, or that they are, for example, if people talk about huge trauma in a very depersonalized way, uh, it is important for clinicians to, to know that this is a way to cope with stress about mm -hmm. what they are talking. And it's not that they are, they, they are lying, that they are, <laughs> they, they are just finding this way to cope with the stress, what it means to make the effort to talk about what happened. Yeah. But um, people having dissociative disorder, when you explore these incongruences, this incongruent uh, behavior between, between what people say, what people show verbally, what their body shows, what they do, um, when you go and you explore um, these dif different movements inside of them, you get acquainted with with dissociative networks, dissociative networks functioning. So my, my way of exploring is to look about inner feelings, inner movements, which doesn't say the same thing. So I don't talk straightforward about parts. Only if people talk themselves, they use this, these words, then I follow them. But I never start to talk about parts because I don't want to do reification too much. So what I would do is explore this incongruent um, response. And um, this can be an ambivalence, but it can be more than ambivalence. This can be really... So what we know about dissociative networks is that they are stuck in trauma time. So they are stuck in the past and very often they have absolutely no idea that we are at the date we are now. So we have to reorient them in the date of now. And the, the patient, the client learning about that there is a feeling inside who is 40 years back and has no idea that we are today in 2021 uh, is sometimes a very... Uh, 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 yes, at first, a very stressful insight, but very helpful. Why these reactions? Why the why these reactions, for example, about separations also? Mm. So what we found, what we find in dissociative functioning people are these different movements. And when these different movements can be heard, can when the client is himself less avoidant towards himself towards his history, towards these inner movements, um, then an inner cooperation can start and then this incongruency is, is, brings less symptoms, I could Very say. interesting, yeah. Um, I think that there is the bond with the therapist um, very important to 
yes. to make you more congruent. Congruent. <laughs> that was a little yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you need a therapist who is able to stay calm. Yeah. Who has his own window of tolerance broad enough? Um, who is able to stay into contact without judging? So the solution-focused approach is really great because we are really trained to explore and not judge the people, and um, and to look about uh, how people do when this happens. How did they do in the past? What did work? What what did less work? So yes, to to keep them with us in the cooperation functioning. So what they need is really that we cooperate together. So one colleague, Giovanni Liotti, is the late Giovanni Liotti. He was really the attachment. The, he, he conceptualized a lot about trauma and disorganized attachment. And he did not know uh, when I talked with him in 2016, he did not know the solution focus approach. So, um, and when, when, I, when I told him that there is a whole approach, because what he says, he says, the best way to work with complex traumatized people and people having disorganized, disorganized attachments and uh, dissociative disorder, he says, is working in a co-constructed, uh, in, co in, in a relationship with two experts, um, in a co-expertise relationship with two experts uh, and using the cooperation action system. So <laughs> this is great because when he says this, everybody uh, is happy about this. Um, at the same conference in 2012 at Madrid, when he did the, the, the closure keynotes, and he said this, uh, the best way to work with people having complex trauma and disorganized attachment is uh, a cooperation relationship between two experts, uh, a co yes, two experts, a co-expertise um, relationship uh, using the cooperation action system. In the same conference, I introduced uh, my workshop by wanting to be very, um, very transparent. So I said that my methodology to, I was an EMDR conference, so I said, my main methodology to work with traumatized people is EMDR and EMDR-inspired um, tools. Um, the way, the theory I use to think about dissociation is the structural dissociation uh, of the personality, the theory of structural dissociation of the personality. And then I said, but my meta model, which acts like a backbone, is the solution-focused approach. About 10 people in the room, there were 60, 10 people at these words stood up and went out of the room. <laughs> I was really a little bit destabilized. And then <laughs> I took a deep breath and then I continued. And when I, when I, when I, when I spoke about solution-focused approach, it seems that solution-focused approach could be misunderstood in the trauma, uh, in the trauma network, as an approach which is maybe too short, maybe not taking into account uh, the past, 
maybe not um, listening to people suffering about trauma and so on. And uh, this is a pity because I'm sure that solution-focused approach is not this. Mm -hmm. So when Liotti used different words as he, 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 did not, he, he did not know the solution-focused approach, but he implemented the way of being uh, in the solution-focused approach. Everybody, he had a big applause of the whole room. Nobody went out. <laughs> but Giovanni Liotti is not Helen De Lucci. This is, this is very clear. But uh, he said the same thing. And when I, when I, when I talked about solution-focused approach to Giovanni Liotti, he was very fond of it and he wanted to learn about it. He died one year later. So this is a pity, but uh, he was completely, he agreed with it. So this is great. Yeah. So the, the people in, I thought it was, it was in Madrid at a complete, or in Italy? The conference. No, in, in, yes, it was uh, at an annual conference of the EMDR Europe. Yeah. Um, yes, an annual EMDR Europe conference. Yeah. Uh, and it is every every year in another in another um, country. Uh, so this year it was in Spain. Two thousand twelve. It was it it was in Spain in Madrid. Yeah. And so. <laughs> But were they um, therapists from all over the world, or yes. were, were they therapists from Spain only? No, no, all no. Over they the were. Yeah. Yes, this is an okay. English-speaking yeah. conference, like the EPTA yeah. conference, and people come from all around so the world. The theory isn't well known into the, in the world. Uh, I think so. The solution-focused theory. I think some of the people uh, know it. Yeah. People who know the solution-focused uh, approach very well and um, who had possibilities to um, integrate some traumatic knowledge and trauma knowledge with the solution-focused uh, approach, they are fond of it. But uh, they are all, they are other therapists when they hear about the solution-focused approach, they, I have the impression that they are, that something about the solution-focused approach is misunderstood among those people. Yeah. As, as the solution-focused approach would be something which is not serious. So one day I gave some, uh, I gave, I gave a training uh, in, 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 in India. And at the end of my training, so I trained about solution-focused approach and solution-focused psychotraumatology and I was at an at the place where they where, where where they teach about diagnosis. And at the end, um, not not the chief of of this of this department, but one of of his assistants came to me and said, "Yes, this approach is okay when people have small problems." I was completely knocked out. Yeah. So I said, so, and my opinion is this approach is the best when people have huge problems. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the more huge the problems, the better the theory. <laughs> but mm -hmm. I think there has a lot work to be done in order to, to lift this misunderstanding that solution-focused approach is only for small problems. Yeah. And it okay. would be disrespectful about trauma. So this is why I'm 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 teaching uh, about solution-focused psychotraumatology, which which brings together solution-focused approach 
with psychotraumatology. And in my opinion, it brings something to psychotraumatology with this disrespect and this, this use of the cooperation uh, approach um, among two, two co-experts. And it brings something um, to the solution-focused approach, which, with, uh, which helps solution-focused therapists also to take into account what happened in the past, because traumatized people, uh, their body reacts as if they were still stuck in the past where it happened. So they cannot not think about the past. They have to, they have to disconnect from the past in order that the, the, the past leaves their body safe so that they can focus on the future. Uh, but they, what, what I see in dissociative functioning people is that they have to disconnect from themselves in order to focus on the future. And when uh, trauma is triggered, they are not more able to focus in the future. So that's why I think that there is some connection to make uh, and some misunderstanding to, to lift. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, let's go back to the maybe to the uh, dissociative symptoms. Um, I read that approximately 30% of the people who got traumatized have dissociative symptoms. Um, why do some people seem to dissociate and others don't? Is there an explanation to it? Yes, this is about um, the model uh, of Rus Lanius, uh, who has based on, she, she proposed a model um, about um, a classical um, PTSD, so post-traumatic stress disorder, and a dissociative PTSD, uh, where she said in complex traumatized people, 30% of the people, when you talk about trauma, people react in their brain in a way which doesn't allow them having access to emotions and to body sensations. So it is like talking about trauma or thinking about trauma would lead to a defensive reaction, which brings people to strongly um, activate, but not in an adaptive way, but defensively activate prefrontal areas uh, to rationalize and having no access to emotions. So um, after uh, Ruslanius and colleagues have presented this model, Another colleague, another researcher, Simone Reinders, who is very, who does a lot of research in the in the dissociation field, she used her data from a previous study on people uh, she did with people having dissociative identity disorder, and she reanalyzed her data um, while looking if this if the if her data would fit with this model of lanius which i find is a great idea so and she found that people having this dissociative subtype having these dissociative symptoms um, in the dissociative functioning people this is close to the reaction of the apparent normal part of the personality, or I would say the adult part of the personality, the part which is in the here and now and dis completely disconnected from any trauma. So they react as they if they if they did not know about any trauma. 
and but they react defensively and they, they showed that this defensive reaction is not present when people talk about neutral things. And what she also has showed, Simone Reinders, according to this Ruth Lanius model, was that if um, dissociative people are in connection with an emotional part, this means a part which knows about the trauma, which, uh, which keeps the trauma, then these people, when they are connected with these parts, they react with classical post-traumatic symptoms. So no more dissociative. So this shows us that, that dissociation is really there to keep people on their feet, to make it that they can go on with everyday life and to build, I would say, um, like a fortress of uh, not getting overwhelmed with trauma, but to be able to go on with everyday life. And this, this keeps us looking on dissociative functional people in a, in a, in a very different way as, as classically this is done. Very often they are told to be very dysfunctional. They have symptoms who lead them to function differently as people having not no dissociation. But in their way, in their, their context, they have learned to be very functional and very adaptive to their context. The only thing is they, even if time has passed and if the environment, the environment has become secure, they continue functioning as if they were in an unsecure environment. That is what is maladaptive and which has to be changed because it leads to exhaustion. Mm -hmm. What can you do as a trauma specialist uh, for people with complex trauma or dissociates? Stabilization, stabilization, stabilization. Um, yeah, and safe bonding. <laughs> yes, stabilization in a way uh, to first, in a way to help the people to calm their body. So help calm their body together with them and then teach them and look what they did to calm themselves down already on a neurovegetative, uh, in a neurovegetative way. Mm -hmm. And then uh, psychological stabilization, keep people connected with their resources. Very often their resources are disconnected uh, from, um, they, they are connected at several times where they are in connection with the resource, but when they are not in connection with the resource, it's like if they would be in another room where the resource is no, no more present. So make, make, um, make links, make bridges to resources. Um, surely also um, stabilization on the relationship level, starting with the relation, uh, the, the, the therapeutic relationship, but not only, uh, we have to work with people so that they have, they are in an environment of a stable relationship because we are attachment beings. Yeah. We are mammals, so our attachment system is really central. So we have also to work on, on, on relational stabilization. And as those people very often, either they have cut off with many people, they live very isolated, or they can be stuck in non-constructive relationships, then we, we have to stabilize, help them to, to, to bring again back constructive relationships 
very often true, true symbolic figures, for example, in order helping them to, to learn again, uh, to, to stabilize on a relationship level. So we have these three ways of stabilization. And what happens also with uh, dissociative people, they have many fears coming up at different moments. They can have fears that suddenly the therapist would change his face and start um, uh, hurting the clients with words, for example, or letting go of the client. So um, the solution focus psychotraumatology says that whenever and as soon as a fear is coming up, don't ask the client to keep it in, in his backpack and to let him alone with this, but focus on this fear, work on this fear outside of trauma. And so that you can get, the client can get rid of this irrational fear and you can go on with exploration. Yeah. So in the same way, so what we do in solution-focused psychotraumatology with these people is that we start to work with confrontation, with soft confrontation tools on non-traumatic events, on non-traumatic targets in order that they get acquainted with um, the way, our way of functioning and getting rid of irrational fears, which are really small targets, helps them a lot to, to, to make experiences which works better than, 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 than they feared about, so better than they thought. And this builds motivation and, and active helping to, to, to get to get further so after that they ask uh, if if the work we do could also be useful for other topics so and then we have only to follow them so we will never as we would do with classical traumatized people uh, focus directly on trauma so we would first focus on non-traumatic uh, targets on symptoms on defenses on fears on emotions on relationships so that their everyday life gets more stable and more um, that, that that they are more oriented in the everyday here and now the whole system in a system gets better oriented in the here and now and from there on we will work with the whole system in cooperation uh, to work on the topics people want to address and very often i'm astonished about how huge the topics are people want to address once they are stable okay is there a certain stabilization technique that is useful for those um, symptoms those associative symptoms when people get disconnected from their body we have to calm their body in order that they can reconnect with their body when people get do it depends what happens when people get to derealization symptoms we have to reorient them in the here and now so that they can come back again in the here and now and that they can orient themselves um, when uh, there is a fear upcoming we we work on this fear in order um, to to watch what part of this fear is rational and needs to um, reflect about protect protection um, strategies and what part of this fear is irrational and can be reprocessed um, 
while we set all the trauma in, into, into a container. So in order to not have too many intrusions in the everyday life, we set a container so that people can set, set away things they don't want to focus on now so that, that they have a little bit more, more mastery about uh, what happens in their everyday life. So, and there are many tools yeah. um, and it depends really what, what happens with the client yeah. um, on which tools we use. So we have to adapt to clients and use the tools which helps the client to be with us here, present, in connection with their body and uh, while being able to make decisions from themselves what they want and what they don't want mm -hmm. okay is emdr useful for people who have dissociative symptoms Be because you go to memory and yes. when you dissociate you don't have the memory of them or yes so uh, the straightforward EMDR, like Francis Shapiro has taught us, is not the best thing for dissociative functioning people. Because um, I, I did this with my first client after my, my level one training. She had the idea, I did not know it, but I knew that she had one memory of, um, uh, how can I say, having drawn yeah uh, in in water yeah and the, this was the, the only bad memory of her childhood she had so i thought wow this could be a good possibility to to work on it with emdr so i so she was very we had a very good relationship she had she, she was totally confident so i said to her i just learned a new tool and so we did a safe place this went okay and then we, I said, I thought about you during this training because you have this drowning experience. Would you like to get rid of that? And she said, yes, we can try. And so she was in her everyday part, in her adult part, she was completely okay. And then um, EMDR didn't work. So we got stuck immediately. And then another part came out, she switched some she changed her tone of voice, she changed her, her face expression. And I was impressed. Suddenly she said, you have to stop because the other one don't want you to do this. So, and I was a little bit shocked about, um, I, I tried to calm down myself and I did so. And so I stopped doing EMDR and I went back to stabilization. But this client never wanted to do EMDR again. And that's a pity. Yeah. So therefore, we have not to work on trauma with a tool which goes immediately in the heart of the trauma uh, at first sight with this client. You, you do one session and then never more. So, but EMDR, there are a lot of strategies among EMDR um, authors uh how to adapt emdr to these people so um, myself i am i am I, I teach about how to adapt emdr to complex traumatized people and how to do emdr safely with these people even if you use if we use emdr beside this i also teach solution focused psychotraumatology with soft tools which in my opinion are 
as good as EMDR to work with dissociative people. But so we, we use a lot of strategies like working on non-traumatic targets, like working outside of trauma, like doing an, an oscillation work, like installing a resource and then touching a little bit about the trauma and coming back to the resource. So like um, oscillation techniques. So there are lots of strategies how to adapt EMDR to those people. And if you adapt EMDR to those people while staying in, an, in a solution-focused attitude, then you cannot do anything wrong, even with EMDR. Mm, okay. But you have to keep the basic solution-focused attitude. Try something. Look, what does the client does? What does the client say about it? Does it work? Does it not work? And if it doesn't work, look for something different yeah. until you find something which works for this client, and where the client can tell can can tell you. Yes, this is working well. This was helpful. This is not helpful. So this we leave we leave aside. So this co-construction with with the with the client is for me the main thing to work with these complex traumatized people. Yeah. Um, you already gave an answer um, at the next question, approximately a, a little bit, but I'm gonna um, ask it anyway. I wonder if there is a connection between a person who goes in hyper or in hypo arousal after experiencing trauma with the dissociative and non-dissociative symptoms afterwards. This is a complex question. Yeah. When people are in a traumatic situation, they start, our system starts by going into hyper arousal. We are constructed physiologically like this we first go into stress the hyper arousal and it depends on how early we have experienced trauma how often we have experienced trauma and how often our body had to go into hyper arousal because our body could not fight could not run away could not flight and we were stuck into, um, an, or how can I say this, in an, an incideration. <laughs> Alan Shaw spoke about, oh, I have forgotten the English word. I'm very sorry. Um, uh, a freezing Consideration? Response. Yes, no, no, a freezing oh. response. Hmm. So um, our system, when we cannot run away, or when we cannot fight, goes in first a hyper arousal, frozen, freezing situation. And when, so the hyper arousal is about our physiology knowing that we are in danger. And the fight or flight reflex is about getting away from danger. When we cannot get away from danger, then we get frozen first in hyper arousal and when there is no solution so when we are stuck into trauma then from danger our body will will, will sense uh, life threat and when our body smells or sense life threat then our physiology goes into hyper arousal and 
there happens a lot, a cascade of, um, of physiological reactions, uh, which leads us to other kind of reflexes through submission, through fainted death, through total, uh, total collapse. So imagine if you are a baby and you experience very often hostility or unavailability, unavailability. These are about research, which has been longitudinal research uh, about Dutra and Lyons Ruth. They have shown that one of the main factors of young adults having dissociative states um, one of the main factors they can put into, into connection with this is having been raised in environments where there is repeatedly hostility and, and indifference, unavailability. So for a very small one, for a very small one's physiology, this is already, physiologically speaking, a traumatic experience. And a baby cannot run away. A baby cannot fight. So they have only one solution is to get frozen and then very quick going into hyper arousal. And this will, when it happens very often, it will go into a pattern of a, an, an, a response, uh, is, uh, <laughs> in, um, a stimulus response pattern where hypoactivation gets uh, raised very quickly. So, and these are people, they look like people going immediately to hypoactivation. But what you have not seen is that in the inside, because they, they have learned to not show what happens inside them, but inside, they first go into hyper arousal, then they meet uh, a feeling of, um, despair and, and helplessness. And this helpless, helplessness brings them into hyper arousal and then, and then they are unable to, to go away. Mm -hmm. There are other kinds of trauma like, like sexual uh, aggression, sexual assaults, when people cannot fight, cannot flight either because they are, they are hold. Uh, these also are kinds of trauma where a lot of hypoactivation is in the traumatic network. And you will find these symptoms when you will work on trauma. So this is called about peritraumatic dissociation, which are symptoms which, which will be into the trauma network. And when you will work on the trauma network, when people are okay, when they are safe enough, when they are stable enough, when they want, to, um, to focus on what happened, then you work on that and then you find these kind of symptoms. But um, what is very clear when they when there are only symptoms which are held in the trauma network is that the connection with the therapist stays present. The client is able to keep one foot in the present in connection with the therapist and one foot about what, what we have to work on. Sometimes we use even symbolic figures so that the client can feel supported during this trauma work in order to prevent these dissociative symptoms and in order to make them being association 
like symptoms like any other symptom like any other image like any other body feeling and then their brain and their physiology can reprocess this and then this network can consolidate in an in another way in a more adaptive way and then when this happens then they can think about what happened without having these dissociative symptoms upcoming because they have been digested so to call yeah but this has to be done all the time with by while you using cooperation and co-construction among the client and the therapist and his inner system mm -hmm. you can never force this you can never so by by not wanting to go too quick it goes quicker <laughs> than if you force to go very quick yeah I don't know how to say it differently, but I hope this is understandable. Yeah, I think it's a very good lesson for the therapist. Why is hyperarousal more dangerous than hyperarousal? I don't know if it is more dangerous. Uh, you have to understand that are, these are different strategies. These are different survival strategies which are inherited since millions of also, since millions of, of uh, generations uh, among phylogenesis, so uh, our species is alive because we are able uh, to implement these survival strategies uh, in case of danger and in case, in case of, of life threat. So, um, and the strategies are different. Mm. Um, so we have this in common with 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 the animals, I would say, in the fauna. Um, I don't know if hyperarousal is more dangerous than hyperarousal. Okay. What Stephen Porges is saying that uh, he says hyperarousal um, is also uh, a way uh, for the body to prepare to die. Um, for example, people, when they are hurt, uh, it is important for, for example, if they are in an accident, it is important to not let them uh, faint. So they are stimulated, people talk to them, uh, and yes, they are stimulated not to, to get asleep, because mm -hmm. when they faint, uh, this is also the way the body dies. So in this way, you can, you can see hyperarousal as being more dangerous than hyperarousal. But if you are hyperaroused, um, and if you want to, to, to flee a danger and you jump out of the window, you have, had, you have, you have, you have, you have been in hyperarousal, but you can die in the same way. Uh, so uh, there is not one more dangerous than another. Mm -hmm. um, for example, uh, what is described, um, what Jak Panksep describes and uh, Peter Levine also they describe then when an animal uh, fights with another animal or runs away with another animal uh, from another animal. And um, so as long as an animal is running, the predator haunts the animal. And as soon as the animal is, is fainting death, um, when the predator comes there, the predator doesn't know how, because what happens in the body that uh, the, the body can really smell uh, differently. 
so predators don't know how long it is that this animal has died and they will not eat the animal which has which looks at, at it would be have died so this is also a survival strategy but it is a different survival strategy um, for example um, when two animals are fighting and one animal is sense senses that this will no longer last <laughs> and that he will not win and not winning means um, getting hurt so badly that you can die so then they stop the fight through submission one animal goes into submission and says you can bite me on my on my neck i i offer you the most vulnerable part of my body and this stops the aggression of the other animal so it is a different survival strategy yeah okay um, what can a person do for himself when he is in hyperarousal, for example, at home, um, long after the trauma happens? Is there anything that he can do for himself to calm himself down? Yes. Um, all the grounding exercises, um, if, you, if you have the feeling you, you go into hyperarousal regularly, you have such crisis, then it is useful really to use this body strength uh, and to, to help the body to, to, to let it out through, for example, uh, pushing a wall or um, running at a place where there is no threat. Um, not staying with people and shout on other people, but but go in another room and try to calm down uh, by drinking water, for example, um, uh, putting your hands on the cold water, um, doing grounding exercises by breathing. Sometimes when people have, uh, when they feel that they get a panic attack, what works best, better than, um, then, then, then slow breathing is to the balsava reflex. This means uh, they, they can take a deep breath, keep their breath, and during for half a minute. And while they are keeping their breath, while they have their, their, their thorax, um, yes, um, if, you, if you take a deep breath and you keep your breath, then the pressure into your thorax goes up and this will have an effect on calming down your, uh, your, heart, your heart rate. For example, after half a minute, you breathe out and you breathe a little bit normally and then you do it two times again. This is, for example, something which is really useful to not get into hyperventilation when you get panicked, for example. Um, so everything you can do to ground your body, to use, to, to, to get all this skeleton muscle strength out of your body um, in order to calm down and then to look, is there any danger here and now? Or is there a reaction I have? And this reaction is talking about is there something, is there, has there been a trigger 
which remembers me of something which has been before. So this needs already a lot of insight, but when people are motivated and they, they feel that one moment they, get, they go into crisis, then the best they can do is to go in another room, try to calm themselves down, calm their body, um, and then look, what was the thing which brought me up like this? Is this something which is there now? Or is this something which remembers me from the past? And then having a container, a mental container, when I could, can put aside things about the past, and then I know there is something in the past which brings this kind of body reaction. Um, and when people know that specific ways of therapy can help them to, to, to work on, this, on these networks from the past in order that present triggers don't bring them out of, of their temper, but they can stay calm and, uh, for example, set limits and say, I don't want you to do this, or I don't yeah. want you to say things like this, but not with this um, raised emotions coming from the past, the present person would not understand. Um, but being able to make the difference from what is happening now, what comes from the past. But yeah. this is already, you have already to be Yes, but I, I, I have already to be very motivated and very insightful to go this pathway. But why not? If people can do this, mm -hmm. I'm sure they, they are able, if they want to learn it, they can learn it. The, very often, the first step uh, is to learn about trauma, to learn about trauma symptoms, to learn about the fact that the body has tried to learn something and this learning has get stuck uh, in the moment where the danger was there. Today, there is no more danger, but the brain doesn't know it because it, it, it disconnected. So as my brain reacts, when I see this trigger, my brain reacts with the same reaction, there is danger without knowing that the danger is no more there. If there is danger there, then, and hyper arousal reaction is the best thing which could happen because it brings us to go out of the danger. Yeah. Okay. That's very well explained. Thank you. Um, let's see what's um, next here. Um, when a person is, for example, in hyper arousal at work or school, um, not at home, like we just um, said. Um, also, a long time after the trauma happened, is there something he can also do um, to calm himself down between other people? I would say the more a person is a child, the more a children and adolescents need adults staying in their window of tolerance to calm them down. Um, so children need, need adults in order to get stabilized. That is the first thing I want to say. If you, if you speak about school, this is really a task of teachers of not thinking this child be um, a bad child or 
be have a bad character or wanting to get mess but this child being triggered by <clears throat> by something which um, implements a reaction which is not something which has to do about now so a child at school would need adults to understand this and to invite the child to do stabilization exercises in order to calm down again. Mm -hmm. Adult people at work, if you are at work and you get hyper aroused, the best thing you could do is go out of the room, a room where you ever can go, where nobody will tell you anything is to go to the toilet. If you are not too much claustrophobic, you can go to the toilet and calm you down at the toilet. There you are alone, you can lock the door, and you can calm down before you can, you can decide either to go back to this place um, or, to, um, or to do something else if there is a real danger. So I, I'm, I'm reflecting what can people do at work. So, What is very, very, very helpful is stabilize yourself, not waiting that you're at work, but in an, on an everyday basis by doing exercises like 54321, like heart coherence, which is really physiologically, you, you, you broaden your window of tolerance when you do heart, co heart coherence breathing three times a day, five minutes. This uh, research shows this. And research shows this even beyond trauma symptoms. Research is showing that people, for example, who have high blood pressure and who are doing three times a day, five minute heart coherence, they need less medicine to get their blood, blood pressure, uh, blood, 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 blood pressure, pressure. Um, uh, in, in the frame where, they, where it has to be. Even people having diabetes, they need less uh, insulin uh, doses when they do the heart coherence exercise regularly. So they have really, um, so we can really train our physiology to, to, to be more balanced. And when we get triggered, that this disbalance doesn't bring us out of the window of tolerance, but we can rebalance quicker in this way. Yeah, by doing the breathing exercises. For example, the basic basis. yes, yeah. all the three, the, the three questions of Luke is about for happier life. This is a very, very good exercise. It is an antidepressant exercise. Mm -hmm. So, and what Robert Sapolsky, Robert Sapolsky he has mm -hmm. written the, the book, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers which is really interesting because he's a, a biology professor. He doesn't know about solution focus approach. Mm -hmm. uh, and he says that we get exhausted, uh, burnout or depressed, not because we are exposed to, to, to stress, but because we lack recovery zones. And these recovery zones should be physiologically, psychologically and relational. So, if you get triggered, hyper aroused at work, what could be a good way 
is to reflect with somebody, either a coach, a colleague, a friend, a therapist, a partner, what brings you out of your shoes at work? Um, reflect about, is this something which belongs to now? Or is it something which belongs to the past so that you can differentiate from the past and now? Mm -hmm. And then having good enough recovery zones out of the work, maybe during the work, uh, so that if there are stressful moments, you go less out of your window of tolerance, but you are still more able to do stabilization here and now. And when you get destabilized too often, too much uh, at your work, and this is a matter of today, then you have to reflect about other ways of adapting your way of working. Yeah. Does this make sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. And past events can be either reflected with a person you feel safe with, or an, an, an intervision group or a therapy setting or a coaching setting. Um, so very often what I what my what I like to say is that that um, everyday trigger can be a chance to find past events which has been painful but which which we have set, set away. And today, our sensitivity to this trigger is a chance to get rid of this past trauma. Yeah. If we are in a good, in a good enough environment with, with um, benevolent relationships and, and people we, see, we feel safe with, but if we are in a hostile environment, then uh, we cannot, cannot have access to, to this thing, to, 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 the, to the past. Very often, past events raise when the environment the environment becomes safe, and when we have when we when we can reprocess things. Mm -hmm. When the when the environment is hostile, uh, we we are more often busy with survival strategies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with physical blockages in the body of the person? As a therapist, is there something that can help them to? What do you it? mean by physical blockages? Um, I hear it more often. Like some people talk about something um, around something around their heart that is very tight. Mm -hmm. um, it can it can be like they want to walk, but they feel something inside of their body keeps them paralyzed. Or okay. Yeah, things like that. For oh, pain issues, I will have the help of one of our cats. <laughs> um, the first thing, if there are body symptoms, what we have to do, if they don't calm down during, um, during one session while we are target, while we target body symptoms, the first thing we have to do is to send the people to a GP in order to, to just to check, is this body symptom really uh, psychological, psychosomatic? Mm -hmm. 
or is it a real body symptom? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if it is a real body symptom, the people need bodily help uh, from general medicine uh, or specialized medicine. And every body symptom can be a symptom of, of a real disease. So we don't, we have really pay, we have as psychologists, we have to pay attention to not immediately think that something is psychosomatic. Yeah. Once the general practitioner, the specialist have said, no, the body is doing well, there is no problem. Um, and the, the symptom persists, then we can start thinking about what is the body expressing, which could not be felt and could not be thought. Yeah. So we, we, what, we, what we try to do with people is to, to go with them, like with a dissociative response, and ask them, invite them to listen about what the body could, could wanting to be say, to want no what the body would like to, to be said I, I use really would like to be say if it could speak yeah because it speaks already but the client very often doesn't listen to the body the client complains about the body and want this symptom to get rid of and so the way is going but this is coherent not only with solution focused psychotraumatology but also with psychosomatics and so on by and and even somatoform dissociation is to say that once an organic disease has been excluded by general practitioners and specialized uh, medical staff, um, then um, psychosomatic symptom relies uh, of the body um, has his very good reason, even if we don't know what it is about. So the only thing we could do is to slowly listen to this symptom. There are several people when they start listening to this symptom, they get hyper aroused, they get fearful, uh, they get angry about themselves. Then we have to focus on the fear on the upcoming emotion. Even if it is defensive, once this has been lessened, then it is easier to listen to the body. And so little by little, we go and listen to the body. And then another way also about listening to a body blockage is looking in the past. <laughs> Was this, can it be that this has been a resource in the past or maybe the only way to be heard? This is, for example, in, in families where there are um, where there are nurses and doctors and um, people who are doing, 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 doing like while helping others. Um, there are sometimes people when they are sad, <laughs> they are not listened to. Uh, when they are desperate, they are not listened to. But when they have belly ache, then they are listened to because it's a specialist of the parents. Mm -hmm. because it's the special the specialty of the parent of the parents so if this was the only way to be heard this can be a habit which has been become a good way to to be heard over time yeah. so it is a resource to get to get heard 
So this has to be acknowledged yeah. first before and then we can we can look after that when the client is okay with this and if the body calms down with this then we can look uh, what should have been heard starting from now and going little by little up to there but up to then. Um, with people who are um, have complex symptoms from childhood it could be a matter of working with them for years and years i think is is that correct i did not get your question sorry could you repeat um, please? people who got traumatized and who have severe um who have severe complex trauma from childhood on like yes. um, reflection or whatever um to be it it, it it needs to have a lot of time to be healed afterwards um yes yes uh, for years and years, uh, uh, I think, isn't it? Or because um, the solution-focused approach is often said to be short um, therapy. Yes. Um, and I think this is the main misunderstanding in the trauma field. Even um, mm. Dolan, which is a psychotraumatologist, she says that sometimes brief therapy is longer than we thought. Um, mm -hmm. So when we know that, uh, for example, people having this uh, complex dissociative disorder, we know that from German specialists, and Germany is really one of the countries where there are the more specialists specialized about trauma and about complex trauma. So what they have written is that uh, people with a complex um, dissociative disorder, they search in an area where people are specialized from 12 to 14 years until they find a, a therapist they feel well with. And when they have a complex dissociative disorder like DID, dissociative identity disorder, therapy, when it works well, when people have found a therapist with whom they feel well. So therapy, which works well, the duration is between seven and 15 years. So if after six months or one year or one and a half year, things are not all settled, this is normal. <laughs> Very often when these people find a therapist they feel well with, they stick with this therapist and, and they, they need, I, I say uh, when I think in attachment terms and when you keep uh, the, the, the relational stabilization really ongoing, then uh, I would need, uh, I would say complex traumatized people very often do therapies around two and a half, three years. And this is a benchmarks, benchmark which has been uh, set by Milkovic, who is an attachment specialist. And he says that this is the time people need to, to make their attachment system more secure. Yeah. Um, and then when the, the attachment system gets more secure, people uh, can implement also one one feature of a secure attachment is getting autonomy <laughs> so then they can they can be less close to this therapist and then they of very often they can stop therapies therapy uh, if the therapist says if you need to come back i am always there so when you say this then okay then i can quit therapy but yeah. for other people um even though 
um, psychotraumatology tools which work with the body go quicker than only uh, talking therapy. Um, if there is a huge amount of trauma and neglect, people need time. Yeah. And I would say, so I would be solution focused in a way to say that it is the client who decides when it is enough. Yeah. And as soon as the client says it is enough, then it's okay, we, we stop it. If the client is doing well, if a suicidal client says it is enough, I don't want to, to see you anymore then the client is not doing well, then we have, we have to prevent him to do suicide, that is clear. So sometimes I, had, I have had um, dissociative clients when they were suicidal, they had controlling parts who wanted to quit therapy. But, um, and then I say, I'm okay to stop therapy uh, if you are doing well. And if you are really doing well, and we can, we can look about uh, what will tell us that you are doing well. Mm -hmm. Does this answer your questions? Yes, yes. Um, because um, I, mean, I have questions for an hour um, more, but I think it will be too long. So I just uh, want to ask some, a few more questions that seems to be really important for me can um first first question is can all trauma be healed yes the trauma cannot be healed if the client doesn't want that want it we see that with people who are who have affairs in court or who need their trauma to be recognized they don't want to work on the trauma then you cannot force them but if people are motivated to get rid of trauma, if they feel safe, mm -hmm. if they are stabilized, then all kinds of trauma can be healed. Yeah, I think that's very important news for people. Even, yeah. even if it has happened 100 years ago to your great-grandmother. <laughs> yeah. yes. Even if it has been transgenerational, even if today we still work on war trauma. These are, these are kinds of trauma which are easily um, worked out. Once we have found the right address, the symptom is stemming, stemming from. So every trauma can be healed. It needs more or less time, yeah. more or less work. Uh, as long as people are motivated, as long as they feel safe with somebody they, who can help them, then we can work. And this is really, this gives us um, much hope um, to, and because each trauma which has been healed, there is no, no relapse. So once one trauma has been healed, the only thing which can happen is that the brain brings up other trauma by saying, oh, you have get rid of this. I have other ones to yeah. present. So to work on, this can happen, but if, so we have a little bit more work. <laughs> but mm -hmm. once one trauma has been, has been reprocessed, there is no relapse. It stays reprocessed and there, is no, there are no symptoms coming back. If there are symptoms coming back, they are from other trauma, yeah. which is not yet reprocessed and, and which asks to be reprocessed also. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, do you have any experience with um, yoga and trauma? Um, like Bessel van der Kolk? Um, yes, Bessel van der Kolk. Yes, he, yeah. he has experience. He yeah. has does, he, he did research and uh, he implements, he has a trauma center where he implements yoga and he's saying that yoga is very, very, a very good stabilization tool. So a very good um, a grounding exercise. So people who are, who are, who, who do regularly grounding, it's like what I said before, if you do a stabilization exercise on an everyday basis, your window of tolerance gets much broader. Yeah. And if you get stressed or if you get triggered, your brain will be able to reprocess much easier uh, that if you go out of your window of tolerance. If you go out of your window of tolerance, your brain doesn't reprocess. It just sets things aside to reprocess it later. So if, so if through yoga, I don't have personal experience with yoga, but, but I know colleagues who are working with people doing yoga. This mm -hmm. is a great, great stabilization tool, which keeps really people being balanced in their body, in connection with their body and their physiology being balanced. So it's yeah. like heart coherence. Yeah. So a well-balanced the... physiology is the best tool you can have to reprocess trauma. Yeah. Um, you, you can also heal it, if I'm correct, by doing yoga, not only stabilize i don't find the word in english mm -hmm. if you if you get stabilized yeah and you get triggered and you don't go out of your window of tolerance yeah your brain starts to reprocess in yeah. order to get stabilized again this is learning to your physiology that even if you have touched this network which has set, been set aside as long as you don't forget about today's conditions and you very often if there is personal trauma we need another person to how can i say to not be alone with this there, there are lots of trauma uh, where people in a big pain uh, have been alone where they should not have been alone when they should have been have had support therefore it is much easier to have to work on trauma while working with another person. But I don't have any um, data. I don't know any data about using yoga to heal trauma. But why not? I, I, I would not say it's not possible. I would mm -hmm. say try and look what happens. Yeah. <laughs> like we do in solution focused approach. Yes. If you do, if you do uh, yoga, and while you are doing yoga, you are you are thinking about different topics. There is one guy. His name is David Berselli. He has um, he has designed the trauma releasing exercises model, where he asks people to do uh, fatigue exercises of big muscle groups. And then this would um, implement the body to have um, a trembling response. And through this trembling, uh, people can have access to trauma. And so while, uh, while being there and trembling, while being present in the present time, not getting away, your body can reprocess uh, this trauma. 
So when I searched about trauma releasing exercise, I found neurogenic, you know, neurogenic, or yes, okay. neurogenic trauma. Uh, no, neurogenic yoga, sorry, neurogenic yoga. And this is a form of yoga which combines yoga exercise with trauma releasing exercises. And when I think about this approach, I'm not familiar with this approach, but they, they say that through their methods, through their really body-focused methods, without having to think, to talk and anything, uh, the body finds and releases trauma the, the body needs to get rid of. Very so this would answer yeah. to your question about yoga, that yeah. yes, if yoga is applied in a way, in a secured way, when trauma is triggered. Um, so if you connect uh, the, tia, uh, the, the, the tra trauma releasing exercises with this kind of yoga, which, why not? I would be very interested to, to read about, to, to know about. But okay. I, have no, I have no knowledge, I have no practice about, and, and no data, so I just can assume and, and Maybe maybe you ask the question to David Berselli. He he would answer this question. Okay, perfectly. Yeah. Um, I was wondering if you also um, wrote any books because I only find a little course of you um, during the training, but I yes. didn't find any books um, immediately. I have written a PhD of four hundred pages, but it's in French. It's not in English yes. and not in Dutch. So this is available on the internet. Uh, I have also written, um, I have not much written in English. Uh, I have written a lot of chapters uh, in not my own book, but in, in different books about EMDR, about dissociation, about, um, yes, mainly also about family therapy. Uh, in family therapy journals, there is one article we have translated into English. It was it has been published in the first issue of the Solution Focused Practice Journal. The the one article about basic assumptions, um, so which makes the connection between trauma and solution focused approach. Mm -hmm. um, and now we are we are mettre à jour we are updating a, a big manual. Uh, I don't have it here. A big uh, EMDR psychotherapy manual, which has been published first at first in 2017 mm -hmm. in French. And we have to update it. I'm busy to update it now. And it will be published probably next week and uh, next week, mm. next year. Yes. next um, in 2022 or something like that or end 2021 and then it will be all translated into english and there there we, we will have uh, you will have english uh, material i have written so i am i am late at writing <laughs> <laughs> So I have translated several uh, of these French-speaking chapters to uh, to give to people when I when I do trainings. 
but they are not yet so they are a little bit how can i say they are non-published um, english material so i i will have to do a, a, a big job to to make them be published yes. but this is not yet this has not yet happened okay okay do you have any other um, good book recommendations um, from trauma specialists? Yes, uh, the book of Suzette Boone, Cathy Steele and Ono van der Hart. Um, it is um, available in Dutch and in English. In English, mm -hmm. the, the title is Coping with Trauma-Related Dissociation. There are a lot of stabilization exercises uh, you can do with dissociative people and what works with dissociative people works also with non-dissociative people. So this is um, a very practical book, also client can read. So this is really using, useful. And uh, Cathy Steele and um, Suzette Boone and Onovana. So the first book, Coping with Trauma-Related Dissociation has been published in 2011 maybe mm -hmm. in Dutch even earlier. Um, yes. the, the other book, um, Treating Trauma-Related Dissociation, then there the first author is uh, Cathy Steele, the second Suzette Boone, and the third Ono van der Hart. And this has been published later, I guess 2014, 15, 16, I don't know. Uh, I cannot tell you exactly because i don't have the book under my hand mm -hmm. um, so this is about treating trauma related dissociation and then you have um the book of janina fisher coping with trauma related dissociation mm -hmm. you have um the pat ogden book um um Trauma trauma and body, something like that. Pat Ogden and Kikoni Minton. You have uh, the book of Peter Levine, uh, Waking the Tiger. Yes. Which is already old, but which is which is still very accurate. And you have the if you want to know to get acquainted with the theory of structural association of the of the of the uh, of of the personality you have the haunted self or the black the self in um in dutch yes uh, the first author is ono van der Hart. the second is elot nine house nine house and the third is cathy Steele. and this is about the theory and the, the treatment structure of but it is more a theoretical book but it it implements a still a still relevant theory um there are also the um, um i can give you names of authors uh, mm -hmm. there are also um um spanish authors they are very good at it uh, one spanish author is dolores mosquera she has written books about borderline personality disorder also yes. books for patients and families. Uh, I think she has written two, 
which have been, which are available in English. She, um, Dolores Mosquera, Annabel Gonzalez, and Janina Fischer, they implemented the progressive approach uh, about the EMDR work with complex traumatized people, which is very pragmatic and really good. Mm -hmm. And um, and Annabel Gonzalez has just uh, brought out a book about um, emotion regulation uh, in dissociative people. I did did not have the chance to read it yet, but I have heard a lot of very good feedback. So there is a lot people can read. Yes. One day, if I have time, I will add about stabilization about a model i have implemented a model which has the name the gearbox which is an a, a treatment structure uh, for dissociated um, uh, people having complex trauma and dissociation this was all the work my phd was about mm -hmm. so um, one day i will write about it uh, also about i should write about the the letters protocol which is which works uh, with dissociative people, um, even if they don't feel any emotions, they they are able to feel emotions when they work on the attachment basis. So this is very interesting. So we should do some research about it and write about it, but it has not been done yet. One day. <laughs> Did you ever heard about Edith E? Also. Um, uh... Uh, survivor of Auschwitz. She's 92 years old um, okay. and her parents died in Auschwitz okay. and she survived it. Oh, I don't know about this. If you if you want to, if you can send me the reference, I would be interested. Yeah, um, the mm. gift and 12 lessons. She has a story of her life and she has um, how she dealt oh, great. Um, in 12 lessons. Yeah. Oh, I'm happy to have learned something. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, yes. I will send it to you. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, for now, I really want to thank you for this interview and the incredible amount of knowledge that you have that you share with us. Thank you. Thank you. So, you're Thanks welcome. I was happy to share this. Yeah, it's beautiful. I hope it will be helpful. <laughs>